0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on not letting the enemy throw you off your game. I'm excited today. It is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm somewhat intuitive a lot of times, but I, I wasn't today. I, I, when was that, this morning or late last night? This morning... I kind of told Jahan where I felt like I was going today. She won't let me give her any details ever because she says, I like to hear it the first time with everybody else. That way I don't have to fake it if I'm excited or disappointed. <laughs> I can I can be for real. <laughs> you know, so. And uh, I want to tell her everything so she can prepare to always pretend to be excited, you know. But anyways, and so I kind of told her and then uh, this morning I'm uh, I'm up before she leaves and and just studying some more and topping off and I was like you know what I just realized God put all this stuff on my heart and it's like geared towards sports and today is the Super Bowl I'm gonna wear something like coaching today and but I, you know you just can't you can't get anything by me, I'm so sharp, you know, (laughs) I pick up on things, but anyways, one of these days, maybe I'll be able to see past, you know, a day or two in the future, but I don't know, right now, we just get thankful, you know, every day, like, praise God, it's an awesome day, we made it, it's wonderful. Um, If you guys will turn to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter three. <clears throat> I don't normally give a title. I'm not as clever as my dad, so I don't even try to do it because it would be bad. Because he was so good at giving titles, there's sermon titles that I've never, ever, ever forgotten. And 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 once you get that title, you pull up that word, so it's really powerful. It's a gift, and I just don't have it, so I don't normally do it. But um, today, I just kept having this thought this week, don't let him, our adversary, throw you off your game. Don't let him throw you off your game. So, Acts chapter (coughs) 3, starting in verse 1, one afternoon... Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the beautiful gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money from those going in to worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John looking straight into the eyes of the crippled man, said, Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does anybody remember that? It's just been a few weeks, well, maybe months ago. Uh, we talked about giving, being, giving him, readily giving him our attention, right? Expecting something, being attentive. Then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts where Peter and, uh, with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouted praises to God. When all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized it was the crippled beggar they had passed by in front of the beautiful gate. Astonishment, say astonishment, astonishment swept over the crowd for they were amazed over what had happened to him. Dumbfounded, say dumbfounded. Over what they were witnessing, the crowd ran over to Peter and John, who were standing under the covered walkway called Solomon's Porch. Standing there also was the healed beggar clinging to Peter and John. Verse 12. With the crowd surrounding him, Peter said to them all, People of Israel, listen to me. Why are you so amazed? What are the words you said we can put there as well. Why are you so amazed, astonished, and dumbfounded, right? Why are you so amazed, astonished, and dumbfounded by this healing? Why do you stare at us? We didn't make this crippled man walk by our own power or authority. The God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has done this. For he has glorified his servant Jesus, this hurts a little bit, the one you denied, to Pilate's face when he decided to release him, and you insisted that he be crucified. You rejected the one who is holy and righteous and instead begged for a murderer to be released. You killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we stand here as, a wit- as witnesses to that fact. Faith in Jesus' name healed this man standing before you. It is the faith that comes through believing in Jesus, Jesus's name, that has made the crippled man walk right in front of your eyes. My fellow Jews, I realize that neither you nor your leaders realize the grave mistake you made, but in spite of what you've done, say in spite, in spite of what you've done, God has fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets long ago about the sufferings of his anointed one. And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. Repent, turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. Now this, this when he begins to rebuke them, you killed the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him. I realize that neither you nor your leaders realize the grave mistake you made. Okay? But in spite of what you've done, you can repent, turn back to God, and enjoy the times of refreshing. Okay? This is not probably a common... Message or theme that you're going to hear in a church because we have sensationalized the supernatural so much because we thought it would increase the selling point, we have sensationalized the supernatural so much because we thought it would increase. The selling point. We thought that uh, demand, uh, supply and demand, that, that, that You know, if it's little and if it's very selective and only a few people can attain it, then people will want it more. And then while they want something that we apparently possess, then we can begin to leverage them to do some of the things we want them to do. If we normalize it so that everybody can walk in it, then where's the hook? Where's the leverage? How do we get them to do the things that maybe not everybody wants to do? So we've used the supernatural parts of the kingdom to try to um, leverage people to do the disciplines of the kingdom. Instead of normalizing it. I... um, I coach Elias' basketball team, and this all culminated for me yesterday in the game. It started the week before in the game, (laughs) and then culminated yesterday, because I saw a problem a week ago, and I saw a solution displayed yesterday, and the Lord just showed me how that relates to the kingdom, all right? And so... We let our adversary dictate our game plan. So, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, started losing a basketball game. No, we weren't losing. We were winning. I'm sorry. We're winning a basketball game, right? So the other team starts getting desperate. How many people know if you're losing, you get a little desperate? Okay, and you've got to start doing some desperate things. You've got to pick up your pace, right? You've got to. I'm I'm going to try not to make it too sports centered today, so no one. If you're not sports minded, you don't understand it, okay? But you, uh, in in basketball, if you're down, you know they bring the ball down the court. A lot of times, if you're on defense, you just wait on them to get down there. Well, you don't wait on them to get down there. If you're losing, you go down there to them, right? You start playing full court press right and then when you play four court press the downside to that is a lot of times they got guys open down there by the basket and they just throw it right over your head and they score and and the intensity usually rises when you're down the desperation usually rises so you start playing with a little more intensity okay And so you start playing with a little more intensity, and so you start doing a little bit stuff more careless. And so you start getting desperate, and so you'll make a pass that you wouldn't normally take. You'll take a shot that you wouldn't normally take. You'll do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally do when you're down. And so when you start doing that, it's real easy for the team that's winning to start adjusting their pace to your pace so two weeks ago we're beating a team they get desperate and we start playing like they're playing now if you're winning and you got a lead you play completely different you go down to the court you fix yourself a sandwich you sit down in a chair you wait on them to get down there you don't do anything to speed the game up right when you got the ball You don't try to make a fast break and throw a crazy pass. You dribble down as slow as you can. Tie your shoe, you know, and you walk down the court and you pass the ball around. You don't take the first shot or the second shot or the third shot. You wait a while because you don't need a shot. You don't need to hurry, right? You play with confidence. You play with security. You play with knowing you've got the lead, But a lot of times when the team that's down starts turning up the heat, we start matching his intensity. Now, it's going to sound backwards today probably from a lot of what you hear from me because I talk about taking bold moves, taking risk, and that's faith and all that stuff. And I'm not talking today about what you do on the outside. You need to take bold moves from a place of quiet rest. So we still need to be taking bold moves and doing bold things and we need to be stepping up our intensity of our assault on the kingdom of darkness. Amen. We need to, but we need to be doing it from a place of quiet rest on the inside. We don't need to be letting him control and dictate our game plan. When Peter and John... Prayed for this man and picked him up. Everybody got amazed and everybody got and everybody got in a frenzy. And they were just like, What's the big deal? This is normal. When does the bold moves and the radical things begin to just happen normally and not at a place of emotional turmoil? See, because I believe we can make a bunch of bold moves, but if he can get us in emotional turmoil on the inside, those bold moves are not gonna produce what we want them to produce. It's gonna look good on the outside. A few years ago, I was I went on a quest and uh it was a it's a five day getaway. Um it's not a what's that? What'd you say? Oh, praising the Lord. All right. I thought she'd give us some input over there. <laughs> uh, she, Paul and Chloe have been on a quest and a heart quest, so uh, they had something to say, I guess, about it. Um, but I went on a five-day. Well, let me let me preface that. I was at a place where full-time ministry, well, I wasn't full-time ministry. I was full-time bussing, and mowing and part-time ministry. Full-time ministry without any pay. That's what I was doing. Um, And we had, f- how many kids at that time? I don't know how many kids we had at all the different stages in my life. Six at that time. And I was frustrated and angry all the time. All the time. Making bold moves by faith. And yet a wreck on the inside. And I treated my wife horrible and i my kids horrible and I was just so stressed out and I was like I got to do something radical and so I went on this quest and man I don't even have I can't go through everything that testimony I would love to today but I can't um, but I went on this quest and there was a time in this quest where we had this confession what's it called mercy seat, mercy seat yeah Mercy seat, and there's this seat in the middle of the room. And so I'm there with like 20, 30 other guys, some of them not saved, some of them saved. It's just one of the most beautiful rooms you'll ever see. It was absolutely nothing religious about it. And so there's guys up there confessing some crazy stuff, and I'm just like, wow, that's, 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 that's interesting, you know. And we all had to go, and I was just sitting there thinking like, what could I confess? I mean, I don't have anything to confess. I mean, I mean, what am I going to confess? I don't have anything like what they've got. I'm like, like trying to think of something, you know, these dark sins that they were confessing and all that stuff. And I was like, man, Lord, I'm like, I'm like killing it. I'm making such bold moves. I mean, you know, we're just trying to be obedient. I mean, even down to how many kids we have. Even though some days I pull my hair out, but we just feel like you keep telling us to have kids, so we just keep having them. And I mean, and and we feel like you told us to plan a church, and I felt like you told me to drive a bus. And mo- I mean, what am I doing? I mean, I'm like, what do I confess? I mean, that's going to sound terrible. And I'm doing all this stuff, you know. And he's like, Yeah, that's that's the absolute worst place you could be. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're doing all that stuff, and you don't trust me. And so when it came time for me, my confession was I don't trust God. And some of them knew my story and said at that time, what do you mean you don't trust God? I mean, you did this and this. And I was like, I know. That's what's so bad. I don't trust God. So I'm making bold moves on the outside, and I don't have faith on the inside. I'm not calm. So yesterday we're in a game just to bring it to nowadays and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some more scripture in a few minutes. Don't worry. I think I'm just going to have story time today. Tell you basketball stories today. I got football next. Story football, Eva. come on. you're supposed to be ready. Football next, all right? All right? Then we'll really have fun. We get into some football stories. but um, so yesterday, We got a little lead, and my point guard listened to me. He didn't listen to me last game, but he listened to me. And so literally when we throw the ball in, I'd get as close as I could to get on the court, and I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. You know, I'm just like doing this. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And so he slows down, dribbles down the court. And then I tell him not to shoot unless I tell him to shoot. You know? And then when I finally say, okay, shoot, and then he'd shoot the ball. But so they listened. And you know, we just methodically came down, took our time, took some good shots, and just maintained that lead and even grew that lead. And they kept being frantic and they kept being all this stuff. And when I walked away from that game, I just saw the Holy Spirit to so many of y'all just being like, hey, don't make any more bold moves. Until you've got the faith inside to handle them. I said I was going to read scripture, but I'm going to tell another story real quick. Papaw's back there. (coughs) This is a word for somebody today anyways. How many years ago would we have bypass? 12? Yep. 07. 12 years ago, Papa was 85 years old, and they wanted to do quadruple bypass on him, 85 years old. Or the prognosis was not good at all. Leave it, and we don't know how long that you'll live. Uh, that's 12 years ago. Be 97. 98, So that's 13 years ago then. Donnie, that's why I was asking how long, because I knew he was 85 then. So, what's that, 86? Let's see, I don't know anything then. <laughs> you know how many times I've told that story and said he was 85? <laughs> Shh, Lord forgive me. <laughs> I don't know if, Papa, you remember this. We were... They gave him these two choices, and I really, uh, you know, I think Papa was really struggling with that decision. I mean, it's a very difficult decision. Yeah. I mean, if you have the surgery, if you don't have a surgery, we don't know how long you'll live. If you have the surgery, you may not come out of the surgery at all. And so, I don't even know if you remember this, but there was a time everybody's out of the room, and it's just me and Papa in the room. You remember that? We talked about a quarterback at UT. I ain't going to say his name because I'm not going to put him on blast like that right now. But there was a quarterback at UT, and we had just watched the game not long before, and it was in it was in the, the waning time of the game, and it was a fourth down play. And if y'all don't know anything about sports, you're probably looking at me like, what are you talking about? But if you do, it was a fourth down play, and we had to have a first down or the game was over. Okay? And this quarterback, who shall remain nameless, uh, started getting pressured and threw the ball out of bounds. You know sometimes when quarterbacks get pressured, they just throw the ball out of bounds, you know, and to, to not get a sack. And then, you know that's a smart play so you don't force a turnover unless it's fourth down, <laughs> right? and you're going to turn the ball over anyways. If it's fourth down, no matter what happens, you don't throw the ball out of bounds. You, I don't care if you got to do like another unnamed quarterback and do that little pirouette thing before you throw it stupid that, yeah, out of the end zone. Y'all remember that? Anybody Tennessee fans, you probably remember these things. But no matter what, you run till they kill you or you throw it, as hard as you can and just something might happen and so i told papa i said papa i mean the only option that has life attached to it is just throw the ball you just got to have the surgery i mean the other two options that we're afraid of is die on the table or die a little bit later but the, there is a chance there is a chance Reminds me of Jim Carrey and Dumber Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) So you're saying, what's the chances on a guy like me and a girl like you getting together? One in a million. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) It ain't a good chance at 85 years old to have quadruple bypass, but there is a chance. And I said, Papa, you just got to throw the ball. I'm scared, you're scared, but we got to throw the ball. And he just threw the ball. You know what they call that? A Hail Mary. Here's the deal. In my opinion, I hate to say in my opinion because I believe it's truth, but y'all may have a different truth, so I sometimes try to make it my opinion. Let Let me just say it's the truth. In the kingdom of God, there are no Hail Marys. None. And we're living life in a frantic state. That was a necessity. You don't throw Hail Marys on first down. You don't throw Hail Marys when you're up by 100 points. So why, as believers, are we running around throwing Hail Marys? While you're running around like Jahan said today, just throwing up a hope and a prayer. Hoping and wishing and dreaming and maybe if God is real, he can do it. Where is the steadfast faith to just remain stable in what he said? If I don't see it, I just prophesy the promise. I just declare what he said, and I stand firm on it. I don't throw him raise. I was thinking, you know what? That silly quarterback that threw that ball out of bounds, let me help you with this. Maybe you've thrown it out of bounds, and they touched all over all my stuff today, You know, saying that it's going to give you another chance and it'll be okay and all this stuff. You throw the ball out of bounds, guess what happens? God just moves the field. You messed up, he just moved the field and put your receiver there. Catch your ball. There's no, there is no such thing as a Hail Mary. You may think it's a desperation, but God just makes everything line up. But where is that confidence? What I'm trying to say today is, how do we let him dictate our pace? I know things are getting dark. I know things... Seem crazy. If you've read your Bible, you wouldn't say we're in the absolute darkest days because they are much darker days. There were. We 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 talk from such a conformed mindset, from from such a worldly perspective. Even when we talk about how dark the darkness is and how desperate the times are, and we say that a lot of times to stir up the faith of believers, but we stir up a frenzy that's built on fear. Instead of a determination that's built on faith that's not activated by the darkness around us. Go with me to Exodus. Let me put this ball down. I believe our adversary has so many of us in just absolute states of turmoil. And so many times we make it so spiritual. I'm not a dream interpreter, but I know one thing about dreams. If it brings fear, it's not from God. We've got people giving words and speaking sermons and people having dreams that are, that are absolute dreams of torment and people are trying to get those dreams interpreted and in those words and they're just trying to pursue God through this place of fear. Like if I don't get this right, if I don't find this answer, if I don't make this move, then my life is going to be destroyed. Come on, guys. He'll move the field. This is the God that parted the sea. He'll blow the ball back in the field of play. You might throw the ugliest, nastiest pass in the whole world. He'll just make it come back in. It's not all on your shoulders. Look at Exodus 14. I got a... I love the heading that was in my Bible, said, the story and song of salvation. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp. Oh my goodness, I usually practice words and this one slipped by on me. Somebody say it out loud, But five of you say it. Yeah, we'll go with yours, that was beautiful. Ryan, say it again. Beautiful, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. If there's something deeply spiritually significant about that name, and I missed it this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before... I usually just say Paha. Just make a, make a nickname for it. You know, we'll call that Paha. <sighs> Between Migdol and the sea, you shall camp in front of Belziphon opposite it, by the sea, all right, now look at this, verse 3, the Lord tells them where to camp, turn back, camp here, for Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, this is what Pharaoh will say, quotation marks, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So the Lord tells Moses, here's the plan. Puddle H- b- up, you know. All right. I want you all to drill with the ball the wrong direction. <laughs> I want you to do this stuff. You know, and the Lord gives us instructions sometimes. And when we take that first step, if it doesn't look like immediate success, we just give up, turn around. Well, you know, there's two seconds left. I've got a score. I don't have time to just obey. I got to try to figure out a fast way to do it, right? You know, we gotta figure out how to do this, how to how to get in the wilderness, how to do all this stuff. Hey, just camp here, and then when you obey. Then I'm going to make this guy over here think this. Then I'm going to make him get his army. Then I'm going to have them come here. Then I'm going to tell y'all to stop crying and go forward. Y'all are going to have Moses part the sea. Y'all going to go through the sea. Then I'm going to have this guy come. These guys are going to end up honoring me with their death. And then they're going to come through here, and they're going to go in this water. And then right when they all get in the water, I'm going to start making their chariot wheels fall off. And they're going to start swerving around. And then I'm going to make the water come over top of them, and you'll never see them again. We're like, wait a minute, I feel like I'm going the wrong way. Let me go pray again. Let me get another word. Let me try to figure out something else. Let me try to discern something else because this can't be God because I'm not feeling warm and fuzzy and don't feel like it's the perfect path to success for me. Where is that steadfast confidence to do what he says to do? And let him do all the other stuff. See, we're sitting here thinking, how can I make Pharaoh, let me go talk to Pharaoh myself and see if I can make him say it's okay. How can I help him? How can I control everybody around me? And make them see and do what I want them to do. You can do all that by doing what he tells you to do. Then he'll deal with everybody else. So here they come. The plan is to destroy their enemy. And so it feels like they're going the wrong way. What about Gideon? Gideon is going up against 135,000 Midianites. Scripture says they came in like locusts, you couldn't even count them. 135,000. You understand? That's more than kneeling stadium. Full. You got to fight against them. Put it in perspective. Okay, so more than Neyland Stadium—that's thats more than Neyland Stadium and Thompson-Bone Arena, max capacity, letting out at one time, coming to your house to whip your tail, drunk. <laughs> Add that to that. Just lost. A lot of people leave Neyland Stadium losers. Not a lot leave Thompson Arena, losers right now, though. 135,000 more than both of those, that stadium and that arena combined, coming to your house, right? But look, Gideon, I mean, it ain't too shabby. I mean, when he steps up and obeys the Lord and says, I'm going to fight, and he tears down the altars and the Asherah pole, some faith arose in some people, and he got 32,000 people to fight with him, right? And so it's like, okay, we got 32,000 people, not even a fourth of what they have, not even a quarter of what they have, but okay, we're going to do it. And the Lord's like, "Ah, uh, some of them were afraid. And if you win with that many people, you'll somehow think you it was because you're good throwing arm. You know, so why don't we just go ahead and get them down a little bit? Ask anybody who's has any fear at all to go home. Twenty-two thousand people go home. <laughs> Twenty-two thousand. That's Thompson-Bowen Arena again. Okay, all them people go home. They were all for you. They went home. You got ten thousand people left. Half of the half of Thompson-Bowen Arena. I'm trying to put you a visual. If you've never been there before again, I'm messing up bad. But oh well. You go ahead and picture something that seats 10,000 people. And you got them all with you. Then the Lord's like, yeah, this is still just not the way I like it. I like winning in ways that just leave no doubt to the imagination that you couldn't do it without me. Because once you win that way, you'll never be afraid again. If you win with 32,000, then if they bring 200,000 next time, you might be like, Well, you know, we had one per four, and one guy can do four, and so that's kind of doable, you know, because if we train real hard and if we strive a lot and if we work real good. But if you win with 300 people that we could fit in this room tightly, if you win with that against Thompson Bowen Arena and Neyland Stadium combined, because that's what Gideon ended up with, 300 people. 300 people fought all those people. Well, pretty much God just made all those people fight themselves, right? That's what I'm talking about. But we're over here. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to win? Hail Mary, run around, full court press, everything. Oh my goodness. We already won. Where is the steadfast church? Where are the steadfast believers? While we're looking for some Hail Mary or some miraculous play, we're walking by our spouse and not just doing the play. Not just doing, man, this ain't time for... Uh, Just the fundamentals of the game. This is time for something big. We got to do something big. Well, why don't you do the fundamentals real big? We're walking around looking for some drastic thing, some big thing. And God's like, if you would just continue in the steadfast faith, you could, that's what we're going to win with. So Gideon, I mean, he goes down. You remember Gideon, God said, are you afraid, Gideon? Why don't you go down there and listen to him? Gideon goes down to the camp, spies on a couple of the people. They're in the tent saying, man, I had a dream. And like, we got destroyed. God is fighting with Gideon, and I'm so afraid. Here Gideon is with his 300 men, and they're afraid. So when Gideon steps on the court, steps on the field, steps on the, in the game, he just got a little stagger, you know, uh, swagger, not stagger. <laughs> That's They got the stagger because they're drunk, remember? He got the swagger because he's confident, right? So he comes in with confidence. I got to summarize quickly. Oh, my goodness. Man, I messed up bad. I messed this thing up bad. Rewind time. Let's start over again. (laughs) Let's go through this story quick. We know when the children of Israel, even though the plan is to look like they're lost and in trouble so that they'll come after them, when they actually start feeling lost and in trouble... They start losing their mind. Moses, why are we here? Why did you bring us here? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to the wilderness, so there's plenty of place for us to die, and our carcasses to be ate on by the birds. What is going on? They start freaking out. And the word of the Lord to them was, hey, stop crying and move forward. Stop crying and move forward. Hey, I think there's a lot of, we're in a setting that is ordained by God. And in this setting, we don't need a crying church. We need a praying church that will agree with heaven, but from a place of authority and confidence. This place of, oh, God, everything is so bad. Please help us, God. Please help us, God. I just know he's sitting there saying, hey, stop crying and move forward. I have got this. I am moving in this. You are not in desperation. Stop crying and move forward. So they move, and the waters go. Look at uh, Psalm 77. You guys know God parts the water. They go through on dry ground. The water comes back. Look at Psalm 77. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron and their shepherds. I love this in verse 19. A pathway no one knew was there. So the picture is, God didn't all of a sudden, because of our crying out and our desperation, he starts scrambling and saying, how do we get them across the sea? Hurry, go build a road. Before he ever led them to the sea, there was a road in the sea, and all he did was reveal the road at the right time, and they walked across. That place of desperation, there's a road there. There's rivers in the desert. There's crooked places that have been made straight. There is a place and a plan and a path for you that's already laid out, and you're crying out for God, please move. And he's saying, please move. I already moved. I already moved a long time ago. The path is there. Move forward. That confidence, that steadfastness, I'm calling for it in the body today. Nehemiah 9, 9-11, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through in the mist on dry ground. And their pursuers, you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging water. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Passion translator says, "I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us." Galatians six nine. And don't allow yourselves to be weary. Or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. In the message it says, So let us not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance... Let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Took a lot of encouragement from this scripture because I get some heat sometimes as a pastor because some of the things that we're doing, we focus on this body. But this is starting with those around you in the community of faith. I just want y'all to know, the next time we have serve teams, many of those serve teams will not be doing anything in these four walls. That's the plan. That's the goal. That's the vision. But it says start right here. And so we're starting right here, learning to love each other, learning to serve one another. But please don't bring to me that mindset that we're not kingdom-focused because we're not doing everything outside the walls. We are going, but we are building a team and a family and a body. Hey, and I release anybody in this room Go ahead and get started <laughs> Go ahead and get started And then we'll just be ready We're going to build a family around all of you And then we're just going to say Hey, some of y'all go help Some of y'all go help Hey, that's a great place Go help Go help Let's go There's a time when the huddle will break I promise you Man, now, there's a time when the huddle will break But right now we're just coming together Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So no wonder we don't give up. For though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is being renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles. We view them, we see them, we don't deny them, we don't pretend like they're not there, but we view them in light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. Look at that in the message. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes (laughs) compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now, will last forever. John 16, 33, And everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. And I will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. That in the message, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured. Deeply at peace in this godless world. You will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. I want to close in Acts chapter 7 today, if you'll go there. I didn't even get to this chair today. You know, part of the strategy of not letting him throw us off our game plan that I did yesterday in my game that I didn't do the week before? I said, I got the ref to blow his whistle. Y'all like that? And I said, guys, guys, Oh, I broke it? No, I think I turned it off, see? (laughs) I don't know what I did. Come over here. Let's sit down. Let's rest. I see y'all starting to get to the wrong pace. I see you starting to be influenced by those that are out there trying to run with you and turn you on. Different pace. Come over here. Sit down and rest. I got a table prepared for you over here. I got... I, I want to wipe the sweat off your brow. I'm going to give you some water, and you guys just rest, and let me just remind you what our plan is. Yeah. Let me just reaffirm in you what our plan is. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51. Why would you be so stubborn as to close your hearts and your eyes to me? This is Stephen. You're always opposing the Holy Spirit, just like your forefathers. Which prophet was not persecuted and murdered by your ancestors? Name just one. They killed them all, even the ones who prophesied long ago of the coming righteous one. Now you follow in their steps and have become his betrayers and murderers. You've been given the law by the visitation of angels, but you've not obeyed it. When they heard this thing, these things... They were overtaken with violent rage, filling their souls, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, verse 55, this just embodies what I'm talking about today. The Lord took me to this. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God. And Jesus, who stood up at the right hand of God, Look, Stephen said, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. Then they pounced on him and threw him outside the city walls to stone him. His accusers, one by one, placed their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. As they hurled stone after stone at him, Stephen prayed, Our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. He crumbled to his knees and shouted in a loud voice, Our Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And he died. They began to gnash their teeth at him. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God and Jesus. They gnashed their teeth at him, but Stephen, overtaken with faith, was full of the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God. Don't you wish it was before they gnashed their teeth at him that he was overcome by faith see sometimes hold on hold on hold steady 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 and we think that what we believe God should do should happen right now right now right now right now And then when we get to the point where they're gnashing their teeth at us, we're like, God must have forgot the plan. So I'm going to retreat. Hold, 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 hold. We have to keep holding sometimes through things that we think God missed the play. You keep holding. Hold, hold, hold. And right on time. If you hold, he'll come through, and he'll move. Stephen didn't miss it all. He didn't get to miss all the persecution. He didn't get to miss all the turmoil. And he didn't say, Lord, this situation is getting bad. There must be another plan. He said, hold, but man, he saw the glory. That, all those that say, this is light, affliction, and all that, but we're going to see it can't be compared to the glory that's to be revealed, Stephen just, just personified that i got to hold through gnashing of teeth. I've got to hold through persecution. I've got to hold through all of this. But the minute that I see his glory, it's going to not even compare. But we miss it because we start panicking. We miss it because we start panicking and trying to find some more sensational word, some more sensational path. This is about half my sermon today, but that's all we got time for. Prayer team, if you'll come. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.